You guys are probably wondering what's in the bag. You'll find out later. It's nothing too crazy. I can't go too crazy up front because then you're going to expect like fireworks next time I'm up here. So my name is Brian. Along with my lovely wife, Erica, we now serve in the awesome Millennials Ministry. It's an awesome group. There is a name change coming, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be edgy and cool. Right? We're working on it. Not those words. It's going to be a cool version of that. So, Rob actually stole a lot of my thunder. It is Super Bowl Sunday, and so today I thought it would be appropriate to talk about being a fan. And so the title of the sermon today is, What Kind of Fan Are You? And so Rob already went over, uh, who do you want to win, Panthers or Broncos? Um, how many of you guys are in my category where your team did not make it, and so you don't really care? All right. <laughs> so... Um, I'm not really a big sports guy, so I, I didn't really have a team that was like, that's my team and I'm going to, you know, support them and everything. So I kind of defaulted to being a Seahawks fan because there's no team here in L.A. and my wife is from Tacoma. And so by default and extension, I now am a Seahawks fan. But see, I'm, I'm the kind of fan, right? There's two kinds of fans. There's the, the Fairweather bandwagon fans, and then there's those diehard fans, right? The guys who paint their faces, you know, have the letters, and their buddies, you know, they spell something when they, you know, are at game day. So uh, I have some of my gear here. Uh, a Seahawks uh, keychain. I have my Seahawks sweater. But see... Here's the thing, because I am a Fairweather bandwagon fan, I did not buy any of this. <laughs> this was all given to me by my family, who desire for me to be Seahawks fan. And so therefore, I am a Fairweather Seahawks fan. Now, when you think about a Fairweather fan, oh yeah, this was all the stuff that Rob stole. When you think of Fairweather fans, what are some things that come to mind uh, when you think, okay, that's a Fairweather fan. A Fairweather fan is characterized by excited when they win. What's that? At what? Apathy. Any other thoughts? Get there late and leave early. They don't want to fight traffic. So I came up with a few. They only support the team if it's convenient. If it's a rainy day at the stadium, it's not a covered one, eh, I'm not going to go. If it's snowing, if I have a lunch that day on game day, I'm not going to watch the game. I'm not going to go out of my way to schedule time to watch the game. The level of commitment is dependent on the level of success. If they win, awesome. I am an awesome Seahawks fan because when they win, yes. And when they don't, I hide all my Seahawks stuff. And they are fans because it benefits them in some way to be a fan. For me, it is to get in the good graces of my in-laws. <laughs> and so by every definition of the word, I am a Fairweather fan. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, we have diehard fans. And so 
when <laughs> the person that comes to mind when I think of this is actually Erica's uh, friend Sandy from high school. So she actually was uh, one of Erica's bridesmaids, and she came down for our wedding about two years ago. And she, you know, performed all of her bridesmaids' duties, had her nice dress. But see, the one conflict was that that Sunday that we got married was game day. And so because of that, oh, I'll skip back to this later. I'll show you a picture of Sandy. Oh, no, there it was. Sandy brought her Seahawks gear and put it on top of her bridesmaid's dress and proceeded to take uh, pictures with our wedding photographers in her gear. That is a diehard fan. She packed her stuff and brought it along with her to our wedding. And so when I think of people like Sandy, I think of people who will endure inconvenience or hardship to support their team. I'm sure... All the stuff she had to bring along, because now you have to pay for carry-on luggage, right? So not only did she have to pack all her stuff for the wedding and everything like that, all the, the things she needed to bring, but she also needed to pack her Seahawks gear. She needed to carry it through the wedding, too, like have a backpack and stuff with all of her, with all of her Seahawks gear. The overall level of commitment will remain the same regardless of the circumstances. Now, this year, the Seahawks did not make the Super Bowl. And Sandy was very disappointed about that. But her Facebook posts were all, we still love you Seahawks no matter what. That is a diehard fan, someone who cares no matter what. And she is not looking to get anything from the team, but rather to give towards the team and make it better. And now the twist here, these all apply to spiritual things. Right? Right? Okay. If I'm a little more goofy this morning, is I had a late night, so when I'm tired, I was telling one of the teams, my filter's gone. So prepare for raw biblical truth. You guys have your Bibles? I hope you have your Bibles. It is church. It is Super Bowl Sunday, but it's still church. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. There's Sandy again. Okay. So Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. Uh, Just to set the stage here, at this point, the Israelites have just escaped Egypt. If you have not seen any of those movies like Prince of Egypt or all those other things, spoiler alert, God saves them and they get out of Egypt, okay? But see, this is what happens after the movie. Uh, The movies end with the Israelites leaving Egypt and they're like, woo! Awesome! This happens a little bit after that. And so the Israelites have just escaped Egypt. God has released these terrible plagues and shown all of his mighty power. And Pharaoh's like, get out of here. I don't want you in my house anymore. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. Oh, sorry. To continue to preface. So the Israelites were on their way out. Pharaoh decides that he made a mistake because there's no one to clean his house anymore. And so he sends the Egyptian army after the uh, Israelites to bring them back. And so in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, if you're not there yet, I gave you plenty of time. (laughs) The Bible reads, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Didn't we say to you, is it going? No? Click. 
No, that's not it. Right, there he is. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Again, yelling at Moses. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. First of all, no. You were slaves. You were crying out to God, saying, God, save us. There was none of this, leave us alone, Moses. We're happy serving the Egyptians as slaves. None of that. But see, the thing was to hear, they forgot so quickly. They forgot so quickly all the miracles that God had performed. All of God's power that was displayed through, through all the different plagues. All the while, like, all those plagues were happening, the place where the, the neighborhood where the Israelites were living, completely untouched. All the locusts, for whatever reason, did not like the neighborhood that Israel was living in. All the hail, all the livestock getting sick, no Israelites got sick, no Israelites died during those plagues. And they saw all of that. And the second they leave and something bad happens to them, what is their reaction? Moses, what's wrong with you? We didn't ask for this. Now we're going to die. Was there, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you have to bring us out here to die? I had a nice plot picked out. Okay? I put a down payment. I got a nice headstone and everything, and now I'm going to die out here in the desert? They forgot so quickly. But by the same token, don't we? There was a while ago, uh, well, for me, money has always been kind of that thing. I don't know about you guys. Money is a very sensitive topic for me. Maybe it's because my mom is a banker. But for me, like, like having, having that, that a positive balance in your bank account and having a, a, enough savings put away is, is very important to me. And so I'm the kind of guy who gets out my spreadsheets and looks forward into, you know, six months down the line thinking, am I going to have enough money for X, Y, and Z? You know, we have conferences coming up. We have special missions coming up. And so uh, I did my taxes early as a responsible adult. And so I was banking on getting a nice little tax return. Like, okay, we can put some of that money towards uh, seeing Erica's family. We can put some of that money towards our special missions contribution. Like, it's gravy. So I put in my tax information. You are due a federal tax return of $1,400. Yes. And then I put in Erica's tax information. You owe $78. But then I got a state tax refund of, was it, $84, $85? So I netted plus $12. $12 isn't going to go very far for, for my special missions or for buying a plane ticket. And so immediately from there, I went into panic mode of, well, I was banking on this money and now it's not here anymore. How am I going to make special missions? How am I going to be able to pay for the trip to go visit Erica's family? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for that? Our car, our car maintenance is due. And I start to think about all the things that I can't do. And I start to get frustrated with God. Like, God, I'm trying to do things for you. I'm living my life as a good Christian. Why aren't you blessing me the way I want to be blessed? And so quickly forgetting that God had just blessed me with an amazing job. If you guys were here the last time I preached, I shared a little bit about that. If you weren't, I'm sorry. It's online. You can listen to it. But things weren't going according to plan. In my mind, they should have gone a certain way. And because God is supposed to be loving me and God's supposed to be helping me, 
it should go the way I want it to go. But the second that it stopped going the way it wanted to go, I got mad at God. I was like, you know what, God, I don't know. I don't know about this. Maybe, maybe I need to pare back a little bit from what I do at church. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, the nights that we have song ministry practice, Kevin, like, I can't make it because I got to get a second job. Maybe be an Uber driver or something. <laughs> but it was the same with the Israelites. The second that it wasn't going according to plan, they probably thought, we're just going to march out of Egypt. We're going to find the land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to be sitting on a lazy river enjoying, you know, coconut milk and all these things. And it's going to be great. And the second it didn't go according to plan, they're like, God, what's wrong? Immediately, something's wrong. God messed up. Moses messed up. And that is part of being a a fair-weather fan. The second things aren't going the way we want them to go, we're no longer on board. Now, if you look... Well, uh, if you look a little bit later, God saves them, obviously. He, spark, he parts the Red Sea, and they're able to walk through. In the next chapter, they complain, again, that there's not enough water. And then God fixes that. And then in chapter 16, where we're going to go to, they complain again. Chapter 16, verse 2 through 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Again, no. (laughs) You were slaves and you sat around pots of meat and ate all that you wanted until you were full? Really? How many of you guys have ever, like, done a fast or a diet and something that normally is never appealing to you suddenly is the best, it smells the best, it's in your mind, like, I want that. <laughs> Erica and I did this, um, uh, you, you've heard of that master cleanse, the, when we drink lemon, lemon juice and cayenne pepper and all that. We, we lasted two days. <laughs> we quit after two days. We were just angry at the world. <laughs> But at the end of day, at the, during lunch of day two, I remember going to work, and one of my coworkers uh, was eating pickles, like just out of a jar. And to me, pickles are, are cucumbers soaked in evil. They're disgusting. Like, I, I hate pickles. Some of you might like it, and, you know, that's okay. You can repent later. But to me, pickles are disgusting. But that day, I, the second she opened the jar, usually that smell is, like, very, you know... That smell, like, it, just, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't trigger anything within me. But that day, because I was so hungry, I was like, can I have one? <laughs> that smells amazing. I want one. That's, like, maybe, maybe I've been wrong my entire life, and pickles, pickles are delicious. But see, my, my perception was distorted. In my mind, everything that, that I thought, everything that, that, that made sense to me in my mind was, was different from reality. And it's the same here with the Israelites. Their, their reality was distorted. In their mind, like, it makes sense. Yes, we had all the food we could want. Of course we did. But that wasn't the reality of the situation. Their perceptions get distorted, and, and all of a sudden, again, you're, you're not on board. You look at God, and you're like, you know what, God? My life was way better before I became a Christian. 
My life was way better before I decided to do this or that to serve you. Yesterday I was really stressed. Erica can attest to this. I had my whole schedule planned out. And I was like, you know, I have this meeting, I have this meeting, I have this meeting. I have to go get my hair cut because I don't want to look like a hobo in front of you guys. And I was like, okay, I have my everything planned out and, and, and I'm going to have a, a four-hour block to be able to work on my sermon. Awesome. Nothing went according to plan. Everything ran late. Something happened. There was traffic. And all of a sudden, my time shrunk down to about an hour. And I was so frustrated. I was riding in the car with Erica, and I was like, I was in my mind, I was just angry. So angry. And I started getting angry at God. I'm like, God, if you really wanted me to do this lesson, then you would have worked everything out according to my plan of what my day was supposed to be like. And I told Erica, like, I'm so mad right now. I'm so frustrated. God does not want me to preach tomorrow. Because if he did, everything would have gone according to plan today. And then Erica looked at me like, what? <laughs> and the second, as you guys all know, it sounds ridiculous. The second it came out of my mouth, I was like, that made a lot more sense in my head. <laughs> now that I say it, it sounds stupid. But we get like that, don't we? There's some things that we just get so angry about. We get so hung up about it. That didn't go the way I wanted it to. God, my life did not go the way I planned it. I did not get the raise I deserved. God, like, you're supposed to bless me. How come, how come after everything I've done for that person, they're still not a Christian? How come after everything I've done for that person, they still turn their back on God? How come after everything I've done... My life is in shambles, and everything is hard. I didn't get the job I wanted. I'm not married yet. I'm not, I don't have the life that I want. And in, in our hearts and in our minds, it's, it's so valid. It's so true. It's, it's so, it's like, God does not want me to be happy. But when you really think about it, is not getting a job... Is, is, that the, that, is that enough to get you to turn your back on God? Is, is a dollar a, an hour raise, not getting a dollar an hour raise or two dollars an hour, is that enough to make you turn your back on God? In my mind, when, when I get riled up and, and, and focus on these things and, and frustrated and angry, it's easy to be like, God, I deserve this. God, I deserve that. I've done so much for you. I've sacrificed. I give my contribution. I go to church. Why aren't you blessing me the way that I deserve to be blessed? In reality, we don't deserve anything. See, when you're a fan, it's not about you. Fandom is not about getting things for yourself. It's about the team that you're a fan for. In John chapter 6... This just wasn't isolated to the Israelites in the Old Testament. This happens in the New Testament, too, just in case you were wondering. In John chapter 6, to set the scene, Jesus just finished feeding the 5,000. So Jesus performed this miracle, multiplied loaves of bread and fish, and fed over 5,000 people. In John chapter 6, verse 14, we're going to be skipping around a little bit, so just bear with me. In verse 14 through 15, the Bible reads, After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely, this is the prophet who is to come into our world. 
Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So they saw Jesus perform all these miracles, and they're like, he's the Messiah. We should all follow him. We're fans. We're on board. I got my Jesus jersey. And Jesus is like, well, no, no, no. You guys are missing the point. Like, that's, that's not what I'm here about. So Jesus leaves that night. And, and during the, the middle point between this next scripture that we're going to read, Jesus walks on water, and he goes to the other side of the lake. In the morning, the people who had been fed by Jesus, the 5,000, wake up and they go to the same spot expecting breakfast. But Jesus wasn't there. And so they got into their boats and they went out looking for him. And so in verse 25, the Bible reads, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus called them out. You don't care what I have to say. You just want another handout. They just wanted a free meal. And they didn't really care what Jesus was trying to say. But Jesus was like, okay, you know, let me give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to try to say again what I was saying before. And I'm going to use a food analogy since you guys seem to be all into that right now. So he talked about how I am the bread of life. You need to have me in order to survive. In order to come to God, you need to come through me. But, again, because that's not what they wanted. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. They just wanted food. They didn't get it. And in verse 41, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came from, down from heaven? Now, remember a few verses ago, they were like, he is the prophet that has come. He is the Messiah. And then now they're like, no, 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 Jesus, we know your mom and dad. You, you, can't, you can't say, well, I am the one, when, like, a few verses ago, they're like, well, he is the one. So, again, they didn't get what they wanted, and so, not on board. Finally, in verse, verse, uh, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Once it no longer benefited them to be fans, they left. Now, uh, I've been a disciple, I actually just celebrated 15 years of being a disciple. And in those 15 years, I've had many, many ups and downs. Again, like what Rob was saying. And there have been many times where I've considered leaving. There were times where my dreams were not fulfilled. Times when... I thought, I remember back in my campus days, I just want a girlfriend. I want a date. I was like, you know what? I'll give it a year. If, I, if I'm a Christian for like three years, God will bless me. Four years. Five years. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. It took nine years before I finally met Erica. And plenty of times along the way, I was like, it's not worth it. She's not out there. And I thought, you know what, God? Like, this is, this is something that I really want in my life. I want someone who's going to be my partner. Someone who's going to help me stay faithful. Someone who's going to keep my life, and we're going to walk together towards God. And I was like, God, like, you're not giving me this. And you know what? There are plenty of other girls out in the world 
I can't. You're not giving me what I want, so I'm going to leave. Maybe it wasn't that. There was a time where I, I, you know, right after we got married, I got laid off. Again, God, what happened? How am I going to take care of my wife that you just gave me? Remember, remember, you tell, it's the guy's responsibility to provide for his family. So, (laughs) can't do that right now. Again, searching for six months, couldn't find anything. Our savings, nothing, no more, no more money. And in that moment, going to God and being like, God, like, I can't do this anymore. If it means I need to stop going to church so I can, I can pick up two part-time jobs, I'm going to have to do it because I can't support my family. Each of those times I considered leaving, it was because I wanted something. I felt like I deserved something. I deserved a girlfriend. I deserved a better job. I deserved X, Y, and Z. And anytime I didn't get that, I was like, you know what, God, obviously your plan is not right. The plan that I have for my life is is what is supposed to happen. And God, if you're not on track with that, I'm out. A fair weather fan is only on board when the team is on track with what they think the team should be. A fair weather Christian is only on board when they can get something out of it. When their life is going the way it is. When their life is going the way they want it to go. But see, the awesome thing about, about this, and not to get you all down on game day, <laughs> is that just because you're a Fairweather fan doesn't mean that you're always going to be a Fairweather fan. And so, uh, oh, I, was actually, I actually had points, but I forgot about that. My first point was Fairweather fan. Second point is a diehard fan. Now, uh, I'm going to read... Because I'm running short on time. I'm going to read uh, a story. This is my, my favorite diehard fan in the Bible. One, not, not just because he had great successes, but because he also had great failures. Peter. If there's anyone in the Bible I can relate to the most, it's Peter. Because there were times when Peter was like, yes, God, this is what's right. And Jesus just looked at him and like, no, you don't get it. But Peter also had his successes. And there were a lot of great things that he did. But what I love about Peter is that no matter what, no matter how many times he failed, no matter how many times he messed up, he persevered. I have a little graph for you here. So, um, I wanted to be clear. A diehard fan is not a perfect fan. Okay? I want to be clear. There will be times when your team's doing awesome and you're really pumped up. And there are times when your team is doing bad and you're angry. You're still on board, but you're angry. And so, as Christians, there are times when our life, we peak. It's awesome. We just had a retreat, and we're all excited for God. And then we come back, and we find out that our car broke down. (laughs) But then, awesomely, the way God is, someone gives us a check that we forgot that they owed us money, and we're back up here. And then after that, we start dating, and it's even more awesome. But then we break up. But then we put our trust in God and we start dating again. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. <laughs> but, what, but what needs to be seen here is this, this trending upward. As Marty always says, the, the improvement is always appreciated. 
A diehard fan will get knocked down. A diehard Christian will get knocked down. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. It's not if it happens, it's, it's when it happens. When you get knocked down. The key is, are you getting back up? Are you still supporting your team? Are you still supporting? Are you in favor of God? Are you rooting for God and trusting in God, even though you get knocked down? And in Acts chapter 4, we're going to read a story about Peter. So, Peter and John were walking to the synagogue, and there was a a man, uh, I believe he was lame. Not like he wasn't cool, but like he couldn't walk. I need to clarify that for the, for the teens. So it was the Sabbath, so they're not supposed to do any work. But they healed him. And so this whole thing started where they got reported to Sanhedrin because they were preaching about Jesus. And so they get called into to court with the Sanhedrin. Now these are the people that pushed for Jesus to be executed. Okay? And in verse 8, the Bible reads... Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. What a change! From the man who was so scared of a little girl accusing, saying, I saw you with Jesus. No, I didn't. I don't know the guy. Shut up. A little girl. To going in front of the religious council on trial saying, you killed him. You killed the Messiah. The one we were all waiting for, you did it. You. And boldly declaring... That Jesus was the one and only way to heaven. What a change. This was a guy who, who denied Jesus three times. After he had said, you know what, God, Jesus, I'd rather die before I deny you. I will fight. I will do anything it takes. Because I love you and I'm going to follow you. Sounds like a diehard fan. But then he got knocked down. The key was he got back up. And so the Sanhedrin, they kind of confer amongst themselves, not really knowing what to do. And in verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, and I love this, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter no longer cared. He no longer cared what anyone thought. 
He was not thinking about his own safety, his own personal benefit. He was thinking, I'm a fan of God. And I'm going to promote God. I'm going to trust in God. And what matters is that he is being held up. And he is being told. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter if I have to endure hardship or punishment. It doesn't matter if things don't go the way I want my life to go. What matters is God. He was a part of something bigger than himself. And I know that's something we all want, right? Out of life. We want to be a part of something that matters. We want to be a part of something greater. We don't want to leave this world not having done anything. Not leaving our mark. And Peter found that. And it was worth dying for. The thing that caused this amazing transformation was direct contact with Jesus' love and mercy. After messing up so badly, in one, in one of the Gospels, it says when, when Peter denied him for the third time, Jesus looked at him and they made eye contact. Imagine that for a minute. Making eye contact with the guy you just sold out. And then when Jesus came back, nothing but love. Never held it against him. Never said, well, you know what? There was that time, Peter. So I don't know. I kind of want a new Xbox. That might help. It was Jesus' love and mercy. See, the primary difference between a Fairweather fan and a diehard fan is their reason for being a fan. If it's for selfish reasons, if you're, if you're a Fairweather fan, it's for selfish reasons. It's because it serves you to be a fan of the team. And the thing is with that is it won't last long. You're not going to be a fan for very long because hard times will come. And there will be a time where it no longer benefits you to be a fan. And if that's your only basis... For being a Christian, you're not going to want to be a Christian any longer after that. But if your reason for being a Christian, if your reason for, for being a fan of God is because you have experienced His love, His mercy, you can endure anything. Because His love and His mercy is never going to change. His love and His mercy will always be there. Even if it doesn't feel like it. For those of you guys uh, who know me, my parents have been disciples for, for a really long time. And there were times where I, you know, I know my parents love me, but there were times where I didn't feel that. Anytime I was being spanked, I did not feel loved. <laughs> but that did not mean that they did not love me. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. Those he views as his children. So there will be times that are hard. But if you're really here because you love God and you're a fan because of how awesome God is, you will be able to endure anything that life can throw at you. And that's what we want in life, isn't it? To have something a little more stable. You don't want, uh, like that graph, where you're going up and down and up and down, but never going upwards. You know, at least if you're, if you're generally moving upwards, there's progress. If you're just kind of going up and down, up and down the same you know, wavelength again and again, there's no progress and you feel stuck. Maybe you feel like you're drifting. You know, I, I was a hardcore fan at one point. 
But life has kind of knocked me down a bit, and it's, it's really hard to get back up. That's okay. You don't have to be perfect. No one ever is. I can stand up before you today like I am not. I was angry yesterday about what I'm preaching about today. And they still let me on stage. The key is that we never give up. And maybe if, you know what, you're like, I'm, I'm not a fan just yet. I'm kind of researching the team. I'm kind of looking into what God is about. I don't know if, if this is what I want to do with my life. That's fine, too. Take your time. It's a big decision. And I want to put a plug in here for, for parents of teens. It needs to be their decision. It needs to be their decision. Speaking as a teen who was baptized in the teen ministry, I was the only teen to make it out of that graduating class faithful because it was my decision. My parents never bugged me. My parents never asked, how are your Bible studies going? It was my own faith. And because of that, through all the hardships that I had, I was always confronted with the question, well, why did I do this? And it was like, well, it's because it's my faith and it was my decision. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't my team leaders. It was mine. And so if you're searching today, take that time. It's fine. You can think about it. It's a big decision. But know that it's going to be the best decision you've ever made. So I have a few practicals as my clock runs down. Do I have my two-minute warning yet? No, not yet. I have seven minutes. It's awesome. So I have a few practicals for you because I like practicals. First practical, why are you a fan? Take some time to write down the personal reason for your fandom. Don't think about it. Don't, well, you know, this is why. Write it down. Things are more powerful when you take the time and actually put pen to paper. And you can display it somewhere or, you know, if you want to print out in a fancy font, use calligraphy, whatever you want to do, whatever works for you. But this will serve as a reminder of this is who I am and this is who I want to be. I want to be a fan for God because he loves me. and He's awesome. And God deserves some fans. Amen. Second practical. Be proud of your team. Find a token or something of spiritual significance to remind you throughout your day of the team that you're on. Everyone has their jersey. Everyone has their little, you know, I have my keychain and my, my, my sweater. I actually have a mug at work, too. They gave me a mug. So everyone knows that I am a Seahawks fan. But why not have a jersey for God? If this is the team that you're on, why not? Why not have something that, that you can look at throughout your day and, and remind yourself, I'm on God's team. I'm a fan of God. I mean, for me, I have a, I have a set of, of, of dog tags that I had made personally that have my name and my spiritual birthday and my favorite scripture on there. And that, that every time I hear it kind of jingle against my chest, you can hear it. No, you can't hear it. Anyway, anyways, it's there. Trust me. It reminds me, like, you know what? I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I'm a part of God's team. And finally, remember that a diehard fan does not need to be a perfect fan. Don't get hung up on your shortcomings. Don't get hung up on your failures. It's not the end of the world if you mess up. It's the end of the world when you stop trying. Between being a diehard fan 
and a Fairweather fan. I hope today that, that this has been a helpful study and that we all choose today to be diehard fans of God. Because God is awesome. God loves us. He deserves some fans. So I pray that this was a great study for you guys and have a super Sunday. You're dismissed.